I'll say what I said last time I did this. I've only done this one other time. And uh, it didn't go so well as far as my flesh. That's okay. Um, but if I do go down, I want another chance. <laughs> it's just my body reacting. And you know, I have, I've read that the biological reaction we have in fear is the exact same as the biological reaction we have with excitement and anticipation. And the only difference is what we call it. So I'm telling myself right now, and it's true, I want to be here. Thank you. I'm very excited to talk about um, God, Jesus. It's my absolute favorite topic. We'll wait for the emotion to catch up. <laughs> Again, we'll get there. Um, he just kept telling me this morning, just go there and talk to your friends. I'm used to teaching, small group, Bible study, and um, it's a very safe place. And it's my absolute favorite thing to do. So I know that this has got to be a little step up to think that I can maybe encourage more people. So I am grateful for the opportunity. I brought a rock. This rock, um, it's one of those kindness rocks, you know, that people will paint and set out for you to find um, for words of encouragement and things like that. And this is the first one I ever found. And I brought it because you can't see it now. It's worn off. I've had this for years, 2017, I think, is when I found it. And some little girl made it. She wrote her name on the back. And um, she used glitter and glue to write hope across the face. And that's what I want to talk about. I don't look hopeful. <laughs> but that's okay. Ignore the body, right? Um, Ooh. <laughs> Hope in hopelessness. Hope in the darkest situations where we don't think there's an answer. That's what I want to talk about today. So I'm reminded of watching a news piece years ago of a hopeless situation. And it was um, three or four guys bobbing around in the ocean off the coast. North Carolina and there was some tropical storm or something off the coast and they were in a boat I don't know remember if it was a fishing boat or just a yacht pleasure boat or whatever it was but it was some ship and they were in the water it had capsized and so the footage that they were showing on the news was this aerial view of these little specks down in the water bobbing around and those were the men in the water and I mean, I was horrified at the, the way that those waves looked and how small those people looked. And then um, you have the point of view from the helicopter and you see them lowering this cable down with a Coast Guardsman on it. You know, they're gonna get these guys out of the water. And I'm like, oh my gosh, did they make it? 
And then I thought, as they were pulling up out, up out of the water and into the helicopter, those lucky dogs, that really looks fun. <laughs> I, and you might think I'm crazy, but what had happened was, as I was watching the news piece, I realized that the man on the news telling the story was the man that was in the water and his friends standing there with him. So, you know, they're okay, they made it, they all survived. And once I realized that, when they went back to showing the news piece of the rescue, I wasn't afraid for him anymore. I was able to look at that and say, wow, that looks fun. You know, I kind of <coughs> like to do that. You know, not with the threat of death and drowning, but knowing I was gonna be okay. I guess, you know, like people who go out and bungee jump, you know, they kind of trust they're gonna be okay. And that's fun and exciting for them. So hope in an area of hopelessness um, made me think first, all the way back to Genesis, um, back to Abraham and how Abraham hoped in a really, really hopeless situation. So his situation started um, Genesis 15. If you want to look there, that's a move. We're going to hang out there for a while. But um, in Genesis 15, 13, Abraham's having a conversation with the Lord. And Abraham says, look, you've given me no offering, no offspring. So a slave born in my house will be my heir. So that was the tradition. If you didn't have an offspring, you know, then a slave in your home, you could designate as your heir. And so that's where Abraham is. He's very old. Sarah's very old. And that's what he's saying to God. And God says in the very next verse, now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one whom comes from your own body will be your heir. And so Abe and Sarah are listening to this and they're both very old and they're kind of skeptical that that is going to happen. And so, um, you know, they try to help God along and they enlist Hagar and, you know, that didn't lead to any new nations, just led to a whole new set of problems. Um, and true to his word, God did supply an heir for Abraham. So he says um, in 1719, your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. So there's another promise that he gave to Abraham. So they're trusting that. And then down, you go a little bit further to Genesis 21. It says, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appropriate time God had told him. Abraham named him son who was born to him, born by Sarah. He named him Isaac. So he's being very plain that this came, as he said it would, through Abraham and through Sarah. Impossible situation because um, when this happened, you know, Sarah just laughed. Like, that's not going to happen. Who's going to call me mother? 
And Abraham says, who's going to call me father? My body's as good as dead. Sarah's womb is as good as dead. But he did it. Bringing something out of nothing. And that idea of something out of nothing is revisited by Paul in Romans 4, 17, when he says he's describing God. And he describes him as the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. So he definitely had quickened their bodies and he had supplied through their dead bodies what he said he was going to do. So he brought into being something that didn't exist in Isaac. I kind of feel like um, just like when we know how the story ends, it takes some of the fear out of it and we're able to actually see maybe even the blessing in the rescue as it's happening, you know, able to, you know, not miss um, the beauty of what's happening at that moment. When we're, so when we're just so afraid and we're just looking at the waves and we're just, you know, terrified of the helicopter and thinking, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. But when you know the end and you know that you get to take that fun ride and you get to go in the helicopter and you're gonna, you know, be on the news and tell everybody what happened to you, you've got this great story for the rest of your life. It takes some of the fear out of it and the perspective changes. And it's a little easier to have that hope and Abraham was able to do that because of the promises that God had given to him. And not that just that God gave them to him, but Abraham believed them. He trusted it. And, you know, he was able to, to lean on those promises. And so once he realized, yeah, God, God gave me that promise, it's going to happen, then um, he's left and we a person is less likely the next time an impossible looking situation comes along, we're less likely to be hopeless because now we have a future. We see, okay, he came through, he promised he would, and he did what he was going to say. He, yeah, he did what he said he was going to do. So Abraham had another situation come along to be a good example for this, right? Whenever God said, okay, so now I want you to take Isaac, and I want you to kill him. Offer him as a sacrifice. The next thing he's telling him to do. And so you can imagine that Abraham would have been like, what? This, this is what you promised me. You, this is a gift you gave me. You know, you're going off the plan sheet. This is not supposed to happen. What do you mean kill him? But you promised That's when Abraham was able to, you know, shoulders down, relax a little bit. You promised. And he now knows this history of God keeping promises. He's seen him do it. So he's remembering, okay, what did he promise? That back in Genesis 17, 9, God said, your wife Sarah will bear you a son. You will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. Abraham's kind of like, well, he can't have offspring if he's dead. You promised it's going to be through him, his offspring. I'm taking you at your word. 
this is where the rubber meets the road. And I think that, you know, just like whenever I recognized, hey, the guys make it, they're okay. I don't have to worry about them now. I can enjoy the rescue. I think that Abraham, I mean, it's not the way I was taught this, but this is kind of how I see it. I see Abraham is now saying, well, let's see what he's going to do. Because I know Isaac is going to have kids. This is going to continue. My heirs are going to continue. You know, God had also promised, I didn't read that, but the rest of the promise that he gave him was that the world would be blessed through his seed. That seed being Christ was going to come through this lineage. So Isaac was the very first piece in that after, after Abraham. So Abraham knows this is going to happen. He's so confident that this is going to happen that whenever he goes and he takes two servants, a donkey, his son, and they're getting ready to go up on the mountain to kill his son, to offer this sacrifice. And he's got the wood, and he takes the boy, and we're going, and he says to the servant, you guys stay here. We're going to go up on the mountain and worship God. And then we will be back. We will be back. I mean, if that doesn't show the confidence and the promise, he knows what he's going up there to do. And he doesn't know how God's going to intervene. He doesn't know what helicopter's coming, but he knows that the rescue happens and that he makes it. So there again, we know the end of the story. And having God's promises and knowing the end of the story, it just gives you a confidence. And we're fortunate that we've got an entire book of letters of God just giving us promises and confidence and encouragement that he's going to be there. You're going to be rescued. The end of the story is, spoiler alert, if you don't, you know, like knowing the plot twists, you win. It comes out good. You end up in a wonderful place despite what it's looking like in the mess, in the ugly, in the impossibility. So he goes up does his thing just as he's getting ready to kill Isaac. God intervenes and he speaks to him and he says, Oh, where am I? I didn't remember all these uh, verses, obviously. Gosh, I thought you might laugh at that. <laughs> he stopped him in Genesis 22 11. And the angel of Yahweh called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm over here. <laughs> I'm sure he was so glad to hear that voice in that moment. You know, he's got, there's trepidation. Even if he trusts that God's going to um, use Isaac, he might still think, well, you know, I'm going to have to kill him. He might resurrect him. Right? Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill him and he's just going to jump back up off of here. Who knows? Something astounding is going to happen. But there was still that trepidation of the unknown. So he's got that excitement, fear line going on, which I think we all deal with in unknown situations, in scary, different situations. When we look at it and we think, okay, here's one. Here's a real stumper. There's no answer here. I'm not coming out of this. I don't have the money to deal with this. I don't, I, no doctor can fix my health. There's this 
problem. My family is just crazy. They're beyond help. I can't talk to them. There's not an answer. What, whatever the thing is, well, the plot twist is there is an answer. Because he promised us answers. He promised us. And, and I think that is important to know what did he promise us? What does he promise us over and over in his word? It's not an absence of trouble, right? It's not that you're not going to have to deal with things. It's not that you're not going to have illness and brokenness in your body. The promise is that you're going to have joy, peace, love, and abundant life with Christ. That's the promise. And that, those are the promises that always come through. So don't hear me saying that I'm about to lose my house. The bank's going to repossess my house. And I'm saying God won't let that happen. It might happen. I'm saying that's not the end of the story. That's not the plot twist. The plot twist is in spite of whatever the circumstance is, you got joy on your face. You have hope in your heart. You're still marching forward. You're still loving on other people because God is just flowing out of you, not based on your happiness, your circumstance, just based on who you are. He's indwelling in us. It's just, it's a huge thing. It's a huge difference. So don't hear me saying, um, you know, I, I don't want to say anything close to some prosperity uh, gospel, you know, name it and claim it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you're victorious over a situation. Um, you know, maybe you haven't experienced that yet. I hope you do because it's in your grasp as a Christian. It's an option. Like Matt was talking earlier, it's an option for all of us to choose that victory because he's already had the victory, right? And so if you don't choose it, there's no condemnation from God. There's no condemnation from me that you didn't, you know, choose it to do it this way. It's just an option as a child of God. And not everybody has that. If you're not a child of God, it's probably not an option for you yet. You're probably just going to be trying in your own strength um, to make things happen. And God's the one that brings something out of nothing. Um. The example of Abraham and Isaac and hoping against hope. I know that happened a long, long time ago. So I thought, okay, let's use a more modern day example. Y'all pray me through it. <laughs> opportunity to hope against hope. Um, when we received um, my son's diagnosis of his impending blindness, again, don't look at my face as the end of the story.
that years ago, um, 2010, 11, um, I took Eli to the eye doctor and he showed me pictures of his retina in the back of his eye. And he told me that his eyes were dying. And I'm pretty pragmatic and, you know, kind of bolstered myself up and held back my emotions for the time being. And I said, okay, how do we treat this? And he said, um, well, I don't treat this. And so I said, okay, what kind of specialist do we need? Who does treat it? Give me their name and number. I'll make an appointment. And he's, he, t he actually took me by the shoulders and he squared me up and he looked me in the eye and he said, you don't understand me. And I didn't. He was Indian. Um, but he said, I'm saying there is no treatment for this. Nobody treats this. This ends in blindness. Well, that was a shock. And I'm going to skip a lot of details and fast forward to um, my point of the story. But if you ever want to talk about all that that entails and that entire journey, there's a lot of facets and theaters there um, of circumstances in which um, we were allowed to live out our faith in God that I would love to tell you about and talk about. So if you ever want to do that, look me up. Um, but at that time, I found myself after three days of not saying a word, not talking to anyone, not leaving my room. I didn't even tell Ron what the doctor said. He wasn't with me that day. It was just me and Eli. And so for three days, I didn't say anything because I thought if I don't say it, it's not really happening. That was one of my first ways of coping. But during those three days, um, you guys who knew that I had been to the eye doctor was calling and saying, what's going on? What's happening? And I was ignoring you all. <laughs> but then I eventually found myself um, at Rusty's house, bless his heart, and, and another family, and I just fell apart on them. Um, and I'm grateful for that, that they were there for me. But anyway, I found myself at Rusty's house, and I was distraught over the fact that I was going to have to tell Eli his diagnosis and his prognosis because the doctor had asked Eli to leave the room before he told me all this. So he doesn't know this. And I told Rusty that it was important to me that I not give this information to my son in a defeated way, that he knew that there was hope in this situation. I had decided that I was not going to tell Eli this information until I could tell him without this emotion, without my body making the situation appear worse, right? Right. So I had decided I wasn't going to do that. And I remember Rusty looking at me and he goes, 
Oh, that'll never happen. <laughs> I mean, I was falling apart in front of him right then, and he knows, as you all now know, I'm a crier. So he's like, that's not going to happen. At the time, Eli was in a charter school, so no school bus. I was his transportation twice a day to and from school. Fast forward a year, and I had not yet had a conversation about this situation without falling apart with anyone. And so I had self-determined I was not ready to tell this news to Eli. He didn't need to know it yet because he wasn't going to get it in a defeated way. So it had been a year, and I still hadn't told him. So one day I'm driving to school to pick up Eli and <laughs> sorry, I thought it was me. I was going to turn it off. So I'm driving to school to pick up Eli and Sarah Baralis, how do you say her last name? Decided to release this song, Brave. Y'all familiar with this song? Let me just tell you the lyric of it. Say what you want to say and let the words fall out. I want to see you be brave. Well, it was a new song, and so they played it a lot. <laughs> so I would be in my, I mean, every day in April when the song was released, every day, on one of the legs of my trip to and from school, I heard this song. And you know what I'd do? I'd turn it up. I'd sing. I would just cry. I had a love-hate relationship with that song. <laughs> but I knew God was saying, you know, <laughs> here. And there were some circumstances beginning to change um, with his vision and he needed to know. But I still decided I couldn't do it. It just wasn't happening. And by the way, I understand that there this situation is wrong on many levels. I mean, just unhealthy. <laughs> Please don't handle your uh, challenges the way I just kind of, you know, put it off and put it off. And I'm not saying that's the way you need to handle this. I'm just being real here and telling you this is what happened. This is what I did. So it's been a year I hadn't told him. And Ron and I had also said, we had kind of had an agreement that if one of us really felt it was the time that we would prepare the other one, that this is going to happen, you know, that, it, that we need to do this. Um, but no need, because it wouldn't happen. It just wouldn't happen. Then in June, school's out. Ron, Eli, and I are sitting on the couch. We've got the big picture window across from us. Looked out onto the deck. There's big pots of gorgeous, colorful flowers out there, bright blue sky. It's just a, a visual feast, which got me thinking. And I heard in my head, tell him. And I immediately said, no. I mean, clenched jaw. 
and I heard, tell him. I mean, it was a physical, a physical reaction. I mean, viscerally, my heart was beating out of my chest. I was sweating. You know, I, there was no way I was going to open my mouth because I know my emotion and I did not want to do that. This wasn't the time. Tell him that this isn't the time. I have, I have no idea what to say. I haven't planned it. No. Tell him. I, I haven't warned Ron. <laughs> you know, I can't just blindside him like that. Tell him. No. I can't. And as I braced for another tell him, I heard, just open your mouth. Just open your mouth. And I was reminded of a couple verses at that time, and they just really played on the, the screen in my brain. I'll have to look them up because I don't remember my verses. Luke 12, 12. And it says, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Thessalonians 2, 524. Faithful is he that called you. Who will also do it. And again, that's where I was having my kind of drop my shoulders, river meets the road. Okay, God, I'm going to open my mouth, but you better make something happen or I'm just going to be sitting here catching flies. I don't have a thing to say. And so through the physical battle, I unclenched my jaw and opened my mouth. Felt a little silly. I thought, Ron's looking at me. He's like, what's she doing? <laughs> because I just sat there, literally. And then, to paraphrase Sarah in her song, I opened my mouth, I was brave, and the words fell out. God told Eli what he needed to know. He told him about his diagnosis and about his prognosis and most importantly about his hope about the future that he had promised for him, which was a future of abundant life and joy. The end of Eli's story is a great one. Whether or not he sees. Because another thing that God was showing me, um, and I'm telling this out of order, so I gotta find my verses that I wanted to share. Mm. Out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 6 are a couple different places. But in those verses, he's reassuring me that no matter what else my body is, broken, blind, sick, old, Whatever else it is, it is his dwelling place. He dwells in me. How can I not love that? How can I only focus on, you know, the chip paint when I got God inside there? That's 
again, the promises that matter, the promises that he stays true to, that we can lean on. They're the ones that rescue us. It's not promises about changing the circumstances. We've all got circumstances. And all our circumstances are just the stage on which we get to play out our relationship with Christ. We get to live out our faith. And we've all got different stages and different play sets going on at different times. But the reality um, of life, the life that matters, is that relationship with God and living out that hope that he gives us whenever the play's a tragedy. It has a happy ending. That's what he tells us. So some of the verses um, that he continues to remind me about the positive at the end of the story, no matter what the circumstances are, was 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. These are just verses that I just ruminated on through this particular challenge. So maybe they'll help you if you're in a place that seems hopeless. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. So I take pleasure in weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, difficulties, for the sake of Christ, for when I am weak, I am strong. Second Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Hebrews 13.5 Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. What circumstances can change his promises? Nothing, nothing can change those promises. I didn't tell you. Well, uh, one little quickie of a something out of nothing. There's so many some things out of nothings um, in my life. But in this situation with Elijah, on his bucket list, as his vision was waning, um, he had always wanted to see Scotland. Loved Scotland. He loved um, anything Celtic. He's, he's a big reader, and that's where he hung out. He loved King Arthur and, and the dragons and um, you know, the, the Green Isles of Scotland. He wanted to go to Scotland. And so we had begun saving to make that happen for Elijah. And then there came a situation where that did not look likely, likely to happen because his vision was decreasing faster than our savings was increasing. And we had a time frame. That window was closing. They had told me... Um, a timeline for him to be totally blind. And it was getting close. So as I'm getting ready to say, okay, this ain't happening, it's just not gonna happen. 
we began receiving money and support from Leavener, from people who would walk up and put money in our mailbox And then anonymously, some people would walk up and hand us a check and say, I want to make this happen for Eli. I mean, you talk about humility. Something out of nothing. He didn't do it the way we thought. I mean, I could have just been upset and say, why can't, why can't we have the money? Why can't we say this? Why can't blah, blah, blah? Well, maybe why is because this is a beautiful way to do it. This is a rescue that's worth looking at. Stop crying and look at what's happening around you. It's amazing. You're being rescued right now. This rock, I didn't tell you where I found it, but I found it in Dune Castle in Scotland. And we were in the uh, great throne room and I walked up by where the throne would have been in that room. And it's, I mean, this building you know, it's built in the 1300s and it's just, you know, rubble walls with crevices. And this rock was hidden in that wall. And I just saw the glittering hope. And it, the hope of that trip, the hope of God's promises is way bigger than the threat of any eye disease or death or broken relationship, whatever heartache. Yeah. So I just want you to be encouraged in your situation. And I know I don't look like I'm a happy person, <laughs> but I am very happy in the situation and the way that God has handled it and the way that God's used it. Um, you know, I like to use the wall. <laughs> so um, I was looking this morning thinking, you know, what, what goes? And of course was the clash because I didn't think I was going to make it up here at all. And the battle, right, takes, takes place in your mind. And that was that's certainly going on. It's definitely going on, the clash. The one that I want to leave you with is... Prince on tour. Amen. Whatever's going on, the prince, king of kings, he's on tour, and he's walking right in the middle of your junk because that's where he shines in hopelessness. <laughs>